Good morning. Welcome again this morning to South Suburban Christian Church Online. Particularly today, it is the second Sunday of Easter. Now, for many of you, uh, you may never have heard of that before, but in the life of the church, Easter is actually a season, uh, not just a day. Uh, 40 days of Lent, we have 40 days of Easter plus 10 more leading up to Pentecost, oftentimes shorthandedly called the 50 days of Easter. Um, one of the nice things about Easter is that the lectionary encourages us to focus on the book of Acts in this season. Now that word lectionary may be a new term for some of you. Uh, a lectionary is essentially just a, a, a set number of readings or an order of readings uh, that uh, we read and focus on. Um, this isn't something we made up. It's actually a part of the life of the Jewish people back during uh, the day of the synagogue and even to today. This would have been the custom uh, for Jesus and his disciples when they went to the synagogue. Depending on which Sabbath they arrived, a certain scripture would have been read. And uh, as the church started, um, they just continued that tradition for several decades and then slowly began to add in uh, lessons from the letters, from Paul's letters, Peter's letters, as well as uh, readings from the gospel. And over the years, this became known as the lectionary. And generally on any given Sunday, uh, the church is encouraged to focus on an Old Testament, uh, a New Testament lesson, a gospel, and a psalm. Except in the season of Easter, where we're called to replace the Old Testament lesson with a lesson from the book of Acts. So over the next couple of weeks, uh, until Pentecost, we're going to be spending some time in the book of Acts. So I hope that uh, you'll uh, find this time encouraging and that you'll be strengthened uh, as Acts is written uh, to talk about the life of the church immediately after the resurrection and ascension of Jesus. Uh, hopefully, as we leave the day that we celebrated the resurrection, we can begin joining our lives with the life of our brothers and sisters throughout the centuries as we all seek to be faithful to what God and His Spirit is calling us to be and to do. So if you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to turn to the book of Acts. Uh, it's in your New Testament right after the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. And we're going to be looking at chapter 2. Um, I'm going to just give you the first phrase out of verse uh, 14, and then we're going to jump over to verse 22. This is a section that is a part of the very first sermon that was preached uh, in the church of Jesus Christ by Peter himself. So Acts chapter 2, verse 14. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. And then he begins his sermon. And we're going to come back to that in some of the other weeks uh, following. We're going to be picking up at, at this sermon in verse 22. Residents of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. And then I'm going to jump over, and you can keep reading on your own time, uh, but I want to jump over to verse 32. Then Jesus 
This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. May God add His blessing to the reading of this His Holy Word. You know, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is an essential part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, a Christian. Uh, It is probably, of all of the doctrines, all of the beliefs, it is the one that has been quintessential in the church of Jesus Christ. It's attested in the New Testament. It is lifted up as important in the New Testament and throughout the centuries of the church. As a matter of fact, uh, some of the best-known verses that attest to its importance, Paul writes in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. And again, Paul uh, brings this up again in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 14. And if Christ has not been raised then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. For the early Christians, everything depended on the resurrection. Now, the text that, I've, uh, that we've read today that's outlined in Acts chapter 2, I'm going to go through this text uh, like we did several weeks ago, but I want to lift up four points, some of them pretty long points, some of them not so long. And so if you go back to Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 14, that first phrase, but Peter standing with the eleven. You know, there's power in the unity of the church of Jesus Christ. Peter, he's the predominant preacher, but he's standing with the eleven. We don't often hear from all of the eleven. We hear from some of them, you know, Peter, uh, James, uh, John. Uh, But the text says, Luke, the writer of the book of Acts, the same guy that wrote the Gospel of Luke, he says that Peter is standing with the eleven. Over the last couple of weeks, one of the most wonderful things that we have seen here in our community is how all of the churches have come together in unity. It hasn't been an issue of doctrine or an issue of belief or an issue of styles of worship. It has been a situation where not only our community, not only our nation, but the whole world has been cast into this time of uncertainty. And what a blessing for the churches to put aside uh, the competitive nature that is all too human, not just Christian, put aside the differences of opinion, put aside... Uh, those things that are are viewed as as essentials or non-essentials, and together we have just simply said we have to work together to care for our community, to bring hope uh, to our city, uh, to be a part of the answer for our nation. There is incredible power, incredible power, in the unity of the church to declare the gospel. So that's what I wanted to kind of set before you first as we go forward. The second point that I want to share with you goes back to verse 23. Uh, Peter is beginning to preach, 
And uh, he says in verse 23, This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Listen, because God is planning for your redemption, for my redemption, it will happen. Verse 23 is a verse that is chocked full of meaning and and presuppositions that are important to begin understanding where Peter is taking this. And this is the first phrase, that this plan of salvation, that this this person, Jesus, that, that His birth, His life, and most importantly perhaps, His death and His resurrection are all a part of God's plan and foreknowledge. This is the victory of God's sovereign will for our redemption. Now, the church has debated uh, for years about what does it mean to say that God is sovereign, or what does it mean to say uh, that God has foreknowledge. Um, Now, I want you to notice here that the text says plan and foreknowledge. Now, we can't get sidetracked on this idea of whether that God has chosen some to be saved and chosen others not to be saved? Or has God chosen some to be saved and simply said, I haven't chosen those folks, and because of that, they're left in their own brokenness? Or or to say that God has uh, called all people to be saved and uh, our salvation is dependent upon whether or not we receive or accept. And and all those things are are good things to have a conversation about. They're, They're important. But this isn't what Peter is talking about here. This this isn't the issue that Peter is trying to lift up. And I think it's helpful to not only consider that point here, but throughout all of Scripture. And this is, I know you're going to say amen to this, but sometimes we forget that we actually believe this. And and, and this is what what I want to say is, is, Just because we read the Bible doesn't mean that the Bible is just about us. The Bible is about the triune God. The Bible is the revelation of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Bible is telling us about Jesus. When we read Scripture, we shouldn't be looking for ourselves always in the story. We should be looking for Christ revealed through the story and so when we look at that text from that perspective we can begin to see what peter is trying to teach us about the plan and the foreknowledge of god to divide these words to try to understand them individually to try to say well plan is one thing and foreknowledge is another robs us of the power of what Peter is saying. This Jesus, His crucifixion and His resurrection is a part of God's plan and foreknowledge. That is what God plans comes to pass. Now, you and I have made plans before, haven't we? Some of us are arrogant enough to assume that Whatever I plan to do, I will do. Well, that kind of confidence is admirable, but 
we also know that it's not universal. I remember back in high school, I had planned to get the starting position as the nose guard on the football team. Now, I was confident of my gifts and my abilities. As a matter of fact, I was sure that the coach would be foolish not to start me. I, have, I had, after all, led the team in sacks the preceding year, my junior year. The paper had written about me and, and how I was unstoppable, and I began to think about how wonderful I was. And that arrogance that I had was so detrimental to me that I thought that I didn't even need to show up for conditioning before our first week of practice. Who on earth would choose not to start me? Well, I learned real quick because the first game when our coach, Coach Vanderveen, called out the starting lineup, my name wasn't mentioned. Now, he did put me in the game after a couple of plays, and I tried to play the best that I could, and I did pretty well, by God's grace, until the next game, and I wasn't started again, nor the next game, nor the game after that. And it was a nice little way for Coach Vanderveen to remind me of what you have heard before, written by that great poem writer, Robert Burns, the best laid plans of mice and men always go awry. When we human beings make plans, there is uncertainty. But when God makes a plan, that's as good as it being done. When God plans, it happens. God's plans and His knowledge of what will come to pass are the same exact thing. This is part of what it means when we talk about God's sovereignty. Paul attests to this in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 7-10. through 10. Flip over there, one of the most beautiful passages in the New Testament. Paul writes, "...in Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace." which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will, according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. God's plan was to unite things in heaven and things on earth. God's plan was to unite you with Himself. And what does that mean? Well, that's a good question. Even Paul, in verse 9, calls this, quote, the mystery of His will. Well, that means we may not know the minute details of what God was doing, but we do know the benefit, the fruition of God's design to redeem us. God, listen, God isn't out to get us. This, this is a narrative that has been placed upon us by those that hate Christ and those that, that hate the church, even those that hate God. God is out 
to redeem us. God isn't looking for loopholes so that He can cast us into the darkness. God is looking for every conceivable possible way to draw us to Himself. He is sovereignly and successfully looking to bring you back into relationship with Himself. God loves you. God wants to be in relationship with you. God wants to be a part of your life when you rise during the day and when you lay your head down to go to sleep. It is God who watches over us as we slumber. It is God who works with the brokenness of creation, the destructiveness of human behavior, in order that we might know His grace, that is, the gifts that we receive that we have not earned, and His mercy, that is, the consequences that are rightfully due to us that God chooses to spare us from. That grace, that mercy, that love is what God is seeking to pour out into your life, not condemnation. Point three. Christ offered Himself up for our sake. Now, this is a brief point, but remember that it's a preacher telling you that it's a brief point, but one that has hurt the church throughout the centuries. Look at verse 23 again. <clears throat> Peter says, I'll just restate <clears throat> excuse me, what he said earlier, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Throughout history, this passage has been used by the church, particularly in the Middle Ages, even up through the early parts of the 20th century, to justify the persecution of the Jewish people. Now listen, in, in a real literal sense, I suppose, the people who turned Jesus over to the Romans for crucifixion were ethnically Jewish. But you have to remember the other side of the coin too that is is that the folks who were following jesus were jewish peter was jewish the guy preaching the sermon mary the mother of jesus was jewish for that matter jesus himself was jewish listen an old preacher of my childhood once said to me the jews did not kill jesus the Romans did not kill Jesus. The sin and the rebellion of the world, your sin and my sin, that's what killed Jesus. And that's true, but a better and a more biblical understanding would be this. Well, let me just go ahead and read it to you. From Romans chapter 8, verse 32. If you have your Bibles, flip to that. If not, write this down. Romans 8, 32. He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? One of my favorite verses in the Bible. Let me, let me see if I can help bring some clarity to this. I 
love bacon. Who doesn't, right? Now, I'm the guy who, if I'm at a breakfast buffet and I'm standing in front of the bin with the bacon in it and I see somebody else coming up in line and I can tell they're waiting in line to get to the bacon, I take a couple of extra pieces because I'm not quite sure that the guy behind me won't take all of the bacon and I want to make sure I get my fair share. I know that some of you understand that. Uh, As a matter of fact, I'm the kind of guy, when you start messing with my bacon, sort of like an alpha dog and a pack of wolves, and even though I may not growl, I'm going to make sure that my bacon is protected. Who among us shares our bacon? Well, I remember when we first had our son, and uh, he was about four or five years old. We were having breakfast at the dining room table, and uh, my wife had made bacon and eggs, all-American breakfast, right? And uh, my son had finished up his bacon, and he looked at his mother, and he said, Mommy, can I have more bacon? And I could tell that my wife was going to have to give him the difficult answer, that all the bacon had been prepared and cooked and placed on people's plates, and there was no more bacon to hand out. And before she could say anything, I reached over and took the final pieces of bacon I had on my plate, and I said, here, son, you can have my bacon. And immediately it came over me. I turned to my wife and said, oh, my goodness, I love my son giving up your bacon. Now, for many of us, that's a sign of perfect love. Now, listen. For some of you, you might have just listened to that and said, I think this guy's absolutely crazy. But I know that there's a few of you who get it. Look, we didn't take anything from God. (laughs) We didn't demand anything from God. We did not force Jesus to go to the cross as if that were possible. Jesus willingly accepted the cross. Jesus willingly and lovingly allowed our brokenness, the penalty of our arrogance, greed, rebellion, to be upon Him so that the things of heaven and the things of earth could be brought together. You remember me saying that earlier? But that isn't the end of the story. Point four. Resurrection is both the declaration of victory and the promise of eternal life. In verse 24 and in verse 32, Peter says this phrase, This Jesus God raised up. As a matter of fact, if you look at verse 32 and verse 33, Peter actually joins the resurrection of Jesus, with the ascension of Jesus as the ultimate display of power and authority. Peter begins his sermon with the resurrection, and he ends his sermon with the resurrection. He attests to the power of that resurrection. Now, now before we go on, as we come to a close on this text today, I need to share with you that there's a difference between resurrection and resuscitation, okay? Lazarus 
You might have remembered uh, the sermon on Lazarus several weeks ago uh, from the season of Lent. Lazarus was resuscitated. That is, is that Lazarus was brought back to life, but he's still subject to sin. He's still subject to death again. Now, granted, it was a miraculous resuscitation. It happened four days after he had died. But that body would still endure pain, and eventually that body would also succumb to death again. But Jesus was resurrected, not resuscitated. And Jesus still lives. He has his body, but it's glorified. He's able to eat. You can go look in John chapter 21 and see that Jesus was gathered on the beach with his disciples after his resurrection, and he eats uh, the broiled fish with them. But at the same time, this Jesus in his glorified body is able to enter a room with locked doors. You can go back and look at John chapter 20. It still bore the mark of the nails in his hands and his feet and the, the mark of the spear in his side when Thomas struggled to believe. But this same glorified body also ascended where he, as Peter says right here in this sermon in Acts, sits at the right hand of God the Father. And this, brothers and sisters, is our hope too. It is God's plan for us. And since it is God's plan, it will come to pass. Christ's resurrection is our resurrection. Since death could not hold Jesus, death can't hold us either because we are in Christ. Remember a few moments ago when I quoted Romans 8.32? told you that we'd that, you know, if you can remember it, write it down, important verse. That verse in the Bible is really the foundation of the all-encompassing promise of God's future of grace and mercy for you and me. The Son of God bore in His body all of my punishment, all of my guilt, and all of my condemnation. He took upon Himself all of my blame, all of my faults, all of my corruption. He willingly received it. I, I didn't force it on Him. If anything, He took it from me and from you. And He did it so that you and I could stand reconciled before a great and holy God, justified, accepted, forgiven, and the beneficiary of eternity with the One who loved us so much that He intentionally put thought into actually creating us, knitting our body together in the wombs of our mothers. The one who created me has also redeemed me so that I can spend eternity with him. This one who has perfect love and perfect joy and invites me to share in that. 
because of what Jesus did, what Jesus is doing, and what Jesus will do on that last great day when He comes to establish His kingdom of perfect peace and perfect justice forever and ever. This is our hope because of the resurrection and because of the glory of Jesus Christ. Oh God, sometimes the mysteries of Your love overwhelm us. And because we have such difficulty in forgiving ourselves and loving ourselves, we struggle with the declaration that You love us beyond what even words can convey. As we go through this season and this series in the book of Acts, may we be confronted with the power, the overwhelming majesty of Your grace and mercy. And may we, O oh God, be strengthened and deployed as Your church to a world that is hurting and wandering in darkness with humility, and with grace. We offer ourselves to You. In Jesus' name, Amen.